0: Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jed O'Neill-Smith, and this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. Dumb, dumb, dumb,
1: Welcome to episode 87. Welcome back, everybody. How's how's your week been? Are you talking to me or them? Uh, whoever's listening to me right now. <laughs> so just me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Great. Just, uh, yeah, I have no, no updates, nothing. I got no. a nothing. Okay, remember last week, so we revealed our secret number. Yes. I don't know if it's a secret number, our lucky or not lucky number. We don't know what it is. It's, but a, it's number. a number. It's mm-hmm. our number. Yeah. Numbers. But my friend Jeff, who we're in the, our pod with, his brother, I think I'm getting this right, his brother lives in Thailand. And he told me that the number five is pronounced ha in Thai. And so instead of writing LOL, people in Thailand write 555. That is amazing. Which I think, I was like, I don't know what that means, but it feels like it means something. <laughs> or no, not. I don't Do know, but I like you it. Do think
0: the universe has been laughing at us this whole time? <laughs>
1: I think it means we- thinking week. that it means something? <laughs> <laughs> we are bringing laughter to the universe.
0: You know, I got to say, I like that answer better than what- Okay. Dear John Bunyan,
1: <laughs> friend,
0: friend in real life, friend in the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. If you remember, we did a lovely story about John and his beautiful wife, Karen, uh, yep. their love story that he sent in. Uh-huh. Um, John messaged us on Instagram to let us know, sorry to tell you that 555 is... Just that prefix they use for phone numbers on TV. It represents
1: a fake, a fraud, and a scam. How dare dare you, John? 555 on TV means that we're going to be on TV making people laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Right? Right. (laughs) And guess what? I just made an appointment yesterday with
0: an orthodontist because I have a really bad TMJ and I Uh may need to get adult braces. And. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the address of the place is 555.
1: Oh, my God. Is that You're the universe get... laughing at me for possibly no, having to that get adult is the braces? the universe giving you straight teeth so you can be ready for our 555 TV career where we're making people ha, ha, ha. I, It's all coming together. It's all happening. It's all. Thank you,
0: Jeff for that bit of information. And also thank you, John. We'll, uh, I think we'll pass on your meaning. Love
1: you, John. Jen's also just mad at John because he told us that he only drinks two drinks on the weekend and she was like what yes. the hell John bullshit <laughs> what the hell <laughs> only answers to make you feel better yes
0: somebody uh, messaged us and said let me see if I can find it I wanted to say her name so she knows we're talking about her but I won't say how many drinks she has uh-huh. but it's a number I can get behind but yeah. uh, thank you Jessica Bree 13 Jesse, for uh, she reached out and told me I'll just say that it's more more than what yeah. i
1: have and i appreciate
0: her reaching out
1: thank you yeah thank you we got we've got we got multiple messages showing that you are well within the normal range thank of you guys. drinking thank you uh yeah no dr dude said 2.89 drinks with lots of croix. thanks man <laughs> so thanks yep and she's a doctor, so she would know. There if it's you harmful. go. Exactly. A <laughs> doctor wouldn't tell me
0: I didn't have a drinking problem if I had a drinking problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: exactly. See, that's why I love this podcast. We're a community. <laughs> We're just
1: people helping. John, you're going to need to step it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we um, love you, John. Love you, John. Um, okay, let's get into our quickies. Okay.
0: Okay, so my cookies come from a couple of articles, one for cbslocal.com and another one for wgnonline.com, uh, both right. written by their staffs. Um, <laughs> Good job, staff. Well, before I get into this, Sally, how much money? Okay, I know you would never murder. <laughs> you would never murder a person. <laughs>
1: Would never murder, but if you who are we talking about? If you were
0: (laughs) a hitman,
1: yeah, what would be your minimum? Okay, fee. Well, let's say if I was a hitman, even though I never would be, the number that popped in my head was one million dollars. Yeah, is that too? Is that that like that? Seems like I would do a good job. Like maybe worth it. I think it's worth it if you Mm. really want somebody killed you would pay a million dollars. And if you can't afford it, then go to someone else. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I think
0: that this – not that anybody should ever hire anyone to murder anyone. Right. But it's just like you want to know how much money, you know, everybody's tipping, like 20 to 25%. Get on board, people. 10 and 15. (laughs) It doesn't exist anymore. Get with the times. Anyway, so you would be embarrassed, you know, to tip 15 if you knew if you didn't know that everybody if you found out that everybody was tipping 25 right right so right. i would think that this couple would be really embarrassed last week courtney and dustin get their last name their last name is Detheridge. okay courtney and <laughs> dustin Detheridge of oklahoma reached out to a family friend in texas and asked them if they would kill her ex husband for her. Uh-huh. She told them that she would give them $250 down <laughs> and another whopping $250.
1: Uh-huh. When it
0: was done, that sounds like a grandma being like, "I will give you one quarter <laughs> to shovel the snow out of my driveway,
1: <laughs> and when you're done, there's a shiny quarter waiting for you on the other end." They told them and they... a big old kiss, some balls. <laughs>
0: they told them that they would give them two hundred fifty dollars down and then two hundred fifty dollars once the murder was completed and uh-huh. she told them that she would also
1: provide him the gun. Um oh well then so- I mean if you don't have any upfront costs, yeah. That's a great deal. So <laughs> I mean, I'd be spending most of my million dollars on the gun, obviously. Yeah. So this guy, uh, what about gas money? But
0: anyway, (laughs) so the family friend was very insulted by their offer um, and also didn't want to murder anybody. So he immediately turned them into the police. So he helped the police set up the sting operation. So on January 22nd this year, this family friend traveled from Texas to meet Courtney and Dustin and they gathered in, in Courtney's car to finalize the deal. And that's when she handed him over a loaded 12-gauge shotgun that she had picked up from her from Dustin's grandfather's house and gave him a $100 down payment.
1: Uh-uh, so she uh-uh.
0: already isn't doing what she said she was going to do.
1: So then the
0: law enforcement made a traffic stop and pulled her over at that point when Courtney was arrested. And they are um, now in the Latimer County Jail on a $100,000 bond. Um, I'm sorry. she ha- they They actually have since been... Bonded out. Dustin was arrested later, and he also had uh, had a one hundred thousand dollars bond.
1: Do you think so, they let them put a hundred dollars down, and give them two two fifty later? Yeah.
0: No, they were just like, just you sound like you're good for it. Just mm-hmm. give me, <laughs> give me, let's say a hundred, and then <laughs> what do you got on you? What do yeah. you got on you?
1: We'll bond so, you out. Yeah. Oh.
0: So I'm sure that there's more to come with this couple, but you know, obviously I'm we're being funny, we're joking, it's it's a serious subject to mm-hmm. hire a hitman. But we're just saying if you're gonna do it,
1: show a little like, respect. Show a little respect to the <laughs> to the <laughs> hitman community, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh I love it. That's yes, that's you know, I always love just a corrupt couple. I love it. I love a bunch of dum-dums. That's great. Me too. Um, Okay. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you remember walking the mall looking for boys? Did you do that when you were a teenager? Did they have that on Long Island? Uh Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's where walking the mall looking for boys originated is on Long Island, but... <laughs> oh, we would walk the mall, we'd go to Taco Bell, mm-hmm. we would walk the public shopping center. Yeah, you know, like, wherever our, you your whole walk. purpose in life was, like, could we run into a group of cute boys? Like, that yeah. was, like, the whole... I This story, it doesn't really have anything to do with that except for this couple. I didn't know that people still went to malls, but this couple met at a mall and they were like grown people. So it's just made me laugh and I made me remember just, you know, crimping my hair, putting on my dangly earrings and like, you know, putting on my best Esprit skirt and like my mom dropping me off at the mall with a $5 bill and being like, get whatever you want from the food court. She didn't sound like that. I don't know why she's your mom all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My mom would say, Get whatever you want at the food court. Cause that's all she said.
0: <laughs> would you go to like Whirlwinds? Remember like Whirlwinds and then the like Hello Kitty store, Sanrio store?
1: No, we didn't and have Rico any of those in Dayton, Ohio. Really? We had, uh, we had Claire's. Oh, I used to work at Claire's.
0: What? I got Did you fired. Ears? What? I got. That's the only one and only job I've ever been fired from, and I got fired because I wouldn't pierce babies' ears. Oh, they would like so many women would come in and bring their infants to get their ears pierced. No judgment, guys, but I mean, right. don't you don't want to have a fucking idiot fifteen year old that has no <laughs> idea what she's doing pierce your baby's ears?
1: And so that's why you get those babies with like the weirdo, like way, way too high or way too low? Yeah. So I would tell them, I'd be
0: like, oh, you know, it's actually really bad for the baby. Like they could choke on it. They could pull on it. Their ears get infected. A lot of babies are allergic to nickel. I would like say all these reasons (laughs) why they shouldn't pierce their baby's ears. And then they would still want to do it. And then I would go, you know what? I'm actually not allowed to pierce ears. But if you go
1: to the Claire's upstairs, because there were two Claire's in our mall. what kind of fancy mall do you? Grow up. Where did you grow up? Well, this was when I lived here in Georgia. It was Town Center okay. Mall,
0: and um, and so I would send everybody to the upstairs Claire's, and then they they caught on that I was doing that, and that's how I got fired. I was like, "Fuck you! I don't need your
1: stupid." 10% discount or to pierce these baby's ears. I can walk in here and steal this shit. <laughs> exactly. I don't need your t- – I got a 100% discount. I have like 17 friends. They'll just
0: – they'll come in, they'll form a circle, they'll distract.
1: <laughs> just kidding. Stealing's wrong. Stealing's, Stealing's
0: wrong. wrong. Um, but anyway, I uh, – yeah. So. Yeah. I,
1: I love fuck Fuck Claire's. That's fuck a Claire's. Saying. Fuck a Claire's. I worked at the Express. You can also fuck the fucking Express.
0: Oh, that's
1: fancy. Did you have to wear
0: their clothes or was it like a dress in all black sort of? Oh, dress? no,
1: no. So here was the thing. You had to wear – you had to buy their clothes and then wear their clothes every time To make works. $5 an hour. And it wasn't like – there was that big discount. It was like 30% off. And so yeah. I bought one pair of brown corduroy oversized overalls, which I wore like every day, and that was the only thing I would wear. <laughs> I wear that and like a t-shirt, and that was the only thing I bought. And, and you were like, like every technically, wore, it's from Express, so you can't get mad Express. at me. And your manager yep. was like, "God damn it, Sally!" <laughs> and, yeah, and they, yeah, I they only let me work on the cash register. Well, one because I knew how to add, because it was before they would automatically, you know, you had to like make changes yeah. in your mind. And also, I was so bad. I would never upsell anyone, and so they hated it when I worked on the floor because I would never be like, you know what would look great on you? (laughs) (laughs) This matchy's matching leggings with an oversized tunic. (laughs) Sally would be like, I actually
0: saw this at Target for like – it's like same thing, but way cheaper.
1: <laughs> Save yourself some money. Get Save out of here. Save some money. You know what? That doesn't look good on you. Okay. Anyway, we got to get to the point. Sorry, so, sorry. Uh, it's mall talk. It's mall talk. We're walking and talking. I have information from a BuzzFeed article by Ade Onabata And okay, so this is about a couple. They're both 23, Alicia Bush and Corbin Lee. They dated from January 2017 until June, 2018, they met at a mall in Arizona and Corbin actually lived in California and Alicia was a student in Arizona. So they had a long distance relationship. And from the beginning, they were really into each other. They clicked right away, became best friends, but of course, long distance was hard. And so Alicia said, we were already so far apart. There was just a lack of communication. We were subliminally trying to make each other jealous over social media I went to Vegas with him and his family friends, and he was very distant from me. He was looking and kind of hitting on other girls in front of me in Vegas. So after that trip, she was feeling very unsure about their relationship. So Alicia did what any girlfriend in her right mind would do. She hired another woman to lure her boyfriend into cheating. Oh, my God. That's a lot of work and a lot of money. Just break up. Well, she didn't give her that much money. So she looked up. This woman on social media who went to the same gym as her boyfriend, I think he was a trainer, her name was Paula Contento, and she offered her $50 to approach Corbin to see if he would cheat. So – she says, she went on, I went on Instagram and I found Paula because she worked at the same LA Fitness that he did. So I reached out to her and was like, hey girl, I'm at this point in my relationship where I really just think he's cheating on me and I just want to catch him because he's doing all these suspicious things that are red flags I'm putting up with the the time. And I've been out here for months and I just want to catch him. I'll cash up you $50, just help a sister out. And she was like, sure girl, I feel you on that. <laughs> I'll see if I can get him to do something. So a few days later, Paula messages Alicia back and is like, sorry, girl, I got to tell you this, but he took me out last night and then we hooked up.
0: Oh, my God. So she really. Yeah. um, So committed.
1: Yeah. So Alicia got pissed. Of course, she broke up with Corbin right away. And then five months later, so they didn't talk. And then uh, the former couple went on this Snapchat show that was called Second Chance, and uh, the show was, like, supposed to reconnect past lovers to give it another go. So, uh, Corbin told BuzzFeed News, I decided to go on the show because we never talked about what happened with Paulo. We just slept, swept it under the rug, and it never got fixed, which isn't healthy, obviously. So... On the show, Alicia kind of like lays out what happened and Corbin is like, that's not true. I trained Paula in exchange for exposure on her social media platforms. Like we never hooked up (gasps) and Alicia's like, yeah, right, whatever. So on the show, they call Paula. Of course, they're like, "Hmm, we happen to have Paula here, you know. And then so that is when Paula admits that she made the whole thing up. She said – Was she insulted she, by the fact that she only offered her $50? Does nobody respect anybody's <laughs> time anymore? Right? It's like, you want me to steal your boyfriend for $50? No, she said she decided to lie because she didn't think that Alicia deserved Corbin. She said, clearly she doesn't value this faithful, amazing man that you are. I thought, you know, maybe I have a chance. Yeah. <gasps> And so Paula then corroborated Corbin's story saying he told her he had a girlfriend. He remained professional the whole time. And Paula said, my tactics were sneaky. I lied to Alicia. I think I did it mostly because at the time I was going through things of my own. (laughs) And she said, so I took the $50 and I lied to her. So oh, my God. It, yeah. At the end of the show, despite learning that Alicia had paid someone to catch him cheating, the two decided to give it another try. But unfortunately, and probably not surprising, after they briefly briefly reconciled after the show, they have since gone the second way, Alicia described their second attempt at a relationship as tainted. Yeah. I'd say it's
0: pretty tainted.
1: <laughs> I would say it's a little tainted, but oh. I do... Man, it was. I, I there's like a bunch. Of course, this show went viral. I think because uh, I can't, somebody tweeted about it. Some famous person tweeted about it and was like, "You have to watch this. That the the twist at the end," and uh and everybody's like, some people were like cheering Paula and being like, "Hell yeah, she took the fifty dollars and tried to steal her man," and they're like, "Well, that's what she deserves." And then other people are against Paula. A lot of people hate Alicia. I think it's. I think it's, <sighs> I think it's funny probably altogether.
0: for the best that this relationship is over because it doesn't sound like
1: yeah, it was built on trust. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like it was the strongest relationship to begin with. But hey, um, at least it made for a really good quickie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. Some. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen.
0: Are you ready for – a crazy story this week. Ooh, I am. All right. My information came from a series of articles written by John Gorman for the Chicago Tribune, Murderpedia, yeah, and an episode of Snap, old, um, Old Faithful. Old I Faithful love it. Snapped. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so this man's name is um it's spelled Werner. And some people call him Werner and some people call him Werner because he's from Germany and they pronounce the W's with a V. So right. for all intents and purposes, I'm going to call him Werner also because I love a little bit of flair. <laughs> I love the drama. <laughs> Werner Hartman was born in 1944 in Mannheim, Germany. He came to America when he was 19 years old in the early 1960s with just a few dollars to his name. To make money, he decided to sell like some thrifted wares in a booth. They said it was like a secondhand store, but it was at an outdoor market. It's basically just like, you know, now like every weekend there's artist markets and people sell yeah um, antiques there. Um, so uh-huh. Or he, uh, crap. Or depends. <laughs> <laughs> Take your pick. Yeah. One man's crap is another man's more expensive crap. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he was super personable and outgoing and everyone liked him. At the Aldra Markets is where he actually met a young 18-year-old woman named Vasilekei Cruz, she went by the name Vi. She was very sweet and kind, and Varna just fell in love with her. She was beautiful. So they ended up getting married in 1964 and they had a daughter named Stephanie in 1965. And he wanted to, you know, now that they have a child, he wanted to be able to provide better for his family. So he left the markets and he took a job as a door-to-door electronic salesman. And then in 1966, they decided to move to Chicago so that he could open up his own store
1: so okay. what he That's did like quite was, a move
0: yeah what he did was he installed uh stereos and electronic equipment uh-huh. um, f- mostly for like schools and businesses but it was this like niche that was really needed this was long before there were these like mega companies that do stuff like that like best buy or whatever you know right he was like the one of the first people to do that so he was very successful, very quickly. His business just took off. And so his wife, Vi, worked with him and she was kind of the company accountant. And she just couldn't believe how much money they were making and how quickly. So soon after they started to be successful, Five and Werner had a second daughter named Eva in 1967. And things were going really well for them. They ended up moving into Northbrook, which is a fancy suburb of Chicago. They bought a new huge home. So their lives were changing and he really enjoyed his success. And he, and he really liked doing the upscale things like going into the city and having fancy dinners. And, um, Snap actually called it the nouveau riche lifestyle. (laughs) Um, but so he really liked doing those things, but Vi really wasn't into it. She was like a really simple, nice person. And she just, not that you can't be nice and enjoy nice things, but I'm just saying like, she, she was just like a more simple person. She's, Felt out of place in that kind of fancy world. Right. And after a while, the couple decided to divorce amicably. They and they still remain friends and they co-parented together. But Vi and her daughters moved to Florida, and Werner stayed in Chicago to live the nouveau riche lifestyle. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So. Now that he's newly single, he loved to go out, and he liked to go to this um, district in Chicago that was called Stone Park. I don't know if it exists anymore or not. Um, I don't know.
1: I mean, I lived in Chicago uh, a long time ago. Oh, okay, almost twenty years ago now. It was in two thousand, no, two thousand three, two thousand one, probably around. That's almost time- twenty years ago.
0: So this was this was a party district of Chicago oh. and they said that there were a lot of strip clubs okay well so, then, yeah I never went there okay <laughs> so he used to go there a lot and in 1978 he ended up meeting a gorgeous 24 year old dancer Named Deborah Stover. And Deborah's life had been hard. She grew up with an abusive father and she was just 15 years old. She quit high school and left her family to become a dance instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, she was beautiful, very charming. Men loved her, but she was used to, you know, working at the strip club. She was used to not meeting like not the nicest guys. Right. You know? uh, not that Nice guys don't go to strip clubs. They do. You know, nice girls go to strip clubs. I'm just saying, you know, especially back in the 70s, I I, I don't think that dancers were treated with much respect from men. So when she met Werner, who was like really nice and kind, and, he, you know, he was also very charming. She was into him. He was very successful. He could provide for her. You know, she was very interested in him. So just two months after they met, they ended up getting married and she moved in with him. Wow. Yeah. And Vi and his daughters, you know, even met her and they were very friendly with her. Like, Vi was cool. Like she just wanted to support him and they you know, kept things amicable you know so everything was fine for a few years everything was great and then one day Werner calls Vi and his ex-wife in Florida and he was like I need you to come back to work for me so if you remember she used to work keep the books for him in a stereo business and he was like we're losing money left and right. I don't know where it's going. Like I need you to come take a look at the books for me. So she ends up going to Chicago to take a look and and help him out. And that's when she sees that Debra's coming into the store and just taking stacks and stacks of cash from the drawers whenever she wants. She's just buying the how they always say on these shows <laughs> like jewelry, <laughs> <and> jewels, <furs, laughs> fancy cars. Um, she went on <laughs> she went on a lot of trips and she was like spending money on trips with their friends and taking her friends out. Basically, the business went from having like millions and millions of dollars to having like almost nothing because she was spending yeah. money so quickly. And so I told him that he needed to get – you need to get – you're spending under control and and her spending under control. And then that's when um, Werner actually tells her, look, it's not just our finances that are out of order right now, but our relationship isn't going very well because Deborah was seeing another guy Mm -hmm. and Werner was letting this guy live in their (gasps) Northbrook home with her. So yeah. Okay. So Deborah had met this out of he was an out of work pro tennis player, which I guess just means like you don't play tennis anymore. 30-year-old John Korabic and he came into their electronics store to buy a stereo and he was um, young and tall and really good looking they called him a hunk on snap uh-huh. they instantly connected and they started to da- you know she was gorgeous he was hot they started dating And then Deborah would just spend money on him like crazy, like she just lavished him with gifts, bought him everything. Um, She even bought him a convertible, which is a very nice gift. That is a very nice gift, Um, and that's I know. And so, but Verno just put up with it because he he really thought that she was going to get tired of this affair and that she he would leave him eventually, and you know Verno would still be there. So he actually slept on the couch. While John and Deborah slept
1: together in a bedroom of the house. What isn't that insane? Yeah,
0: and so after like,
1: mean, I, I, it's like one thing if you have an open relationship and that's your choice for both couples. You know, what I mean for everybody. But yeah. that doesn't sound like what this is. That this sounds like. It's just really shocking to me because, like, his marriage with the mother of his.
0: Children, Vi seems like a wonderful woman, just very kind and sweet and supportive, and she still is. Right. And they divorce just over her not being comfortable with this party lifestyle or this like rich lifestyle. And yeah. he's I not. Mean, you
1: don't you mean nouveau
0: riche, <laughs> nouveau riche lifestyle? But he's not. This isn't grounds for divorce yet. You know what I mean? Right. When she's taking all your money and spending it on another man who's living in your house.
1: I just, like, I can't imagine that conversation, like, how that happened. Hey, by the way. But he's going to live here. Yeah. And you sleep on the couch. Okay. Oh, man.
0: So- But after a while, after when it looked like John wasn't going anywhere and that she wasn't going to leave him, you know, of course, tensions grew in the household. There were fights. They said the police were called multiple times. He was it was just done. And Werner was getting ready to file for divorce like he was going to leave her. And then one night on June 9th, 1982, 14-year-old Ava Hartman, his 14-year-old daughter, went out with her mother, Vi, and then her stepmother at the time, Deborah. They all went out to dinner because... Um, Vi and Ava came up to visit. And so they all went out to dinner. And then Deborah was like, I want to go out dancing. And and Ava was only 14 at the time. And so she couldn't really get into any clubs. But I guess they were just okay with... Because maybe because Vi and Ava were in town and on vacation, sort of. They were okay with it. But so they... With Ava being out so late. But they ended up going around until they could find a place that Deborah knew a guy working the door and that um so then they were able to get in. Um yeah. and then they ended up like staying out all night long dancing. And so when Deborah and Ava went I guess Vi went to go stay somewhere else, probably at a hotel or something. And then Deborah and Ava went back to Werner's home at four o'clock in the morning they opened the door and they heard music blasting, which was Mm -hmm. very strange. You know, it's four o'clock in the morning and like, why is music on so loud? So Ava thought it was really strange. So she ran up these stairs to go check on her father. When she went towards where the bathroom was, she found her father laying on the floor in front of the bathroom, Mm -hmm. riddled with bullets (gasps) and bullet holes. And he had been murdered. And in a panic, she like ran out. Of course, she's 14 years old. And, yeah, you know, I know. That's awful. She, so she ran down the stairs screaming. And then Deborah just insisted that they go straight to the police station. But when they get there to the police station, Deborah runs inside and she tells the, the police, my husband killed himself. And like even 14-year-old Ava was like, that's weird. Like, How could you ever think that that was a suicide? Right. You know what I mean? So the police then rushed to Werner's home. And when they found him, they knew immediately that this was not a suicide, but this was an assassination. He was killed with an automatic weapon and he was shot 14 times and there was no evidence of a break-in. And the house was in it was in order, except that they found piles and piles of unpaid bills, bills from credit card companies, unpaid mortgage bills. Like It just was clear to them that these were not the wealthy people that everybody thought that they were, or right. at least that they were at one time. And so when detectives interview Deborah, she tells them "Oh, how in love she was with Werner, She did admit that the business had been struggling. So she suggests to the police that this may have been a mob hit because Werner had taken out a bunch of loans from some seedy people and hadn't been paying them back.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So she was like, it was probably a mob hit. But the detectives doubted that because... They had seen mob hits before and they said, contrary to popular opinion, the mob usually doesn't kill people that owe them money because they want to get their money back.
1: Right. And
0: also they don't shoot the person 14 times, you know, like a mob hit is very get in, get out, like three shots, boom. And so when... Deborah and Ava are at the police station, they test them both for gunpowder residue, and they send it off to the lab. And then on July fourth, they got the lab results back. And it showed that there was not any gunpowder residue on Deborah, but there was residue on Ava, his daughter. Her test came back positive. So when they bring Eva back into the police station, she's hysterical. You know, she's so confused and upset. You know, this poor thing just lost her father and found him yeah. dead. And now they're telling her that she might be a suspect. So she swears that she has nothing to do with it. And so the police do something that's a little strange. They um, end up bringing a hypnotist in to hypnotize her. And to see if maybe she's suppressing the memory of killing her father. Um, but then the hypnotism that they did apparently showed they didn't get any answers. It was obvious that she had nothing to do with it. So then they were just like, well, okay, I guess you didn't do it then. Right.
1: <laughs> they were like, hypnotism is 100%. I it's know. Been- <laughs> it's really weird. It's like,
0: I, I'm sure she doesn't have anything to do with it. But that is a really weird way to come to that conclusion. Right. Yeah, it's the 80s for you. <laughs> uh, so, but they, so they wrote it off to that. The reason she probably had the gunpowder residue, which they probably could have came to this conclusion. She touched the said, body, right? She had touched her dad and she had touched the walls leading up to finding her father. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's how she got the residue on her. So. Then they bring in Deborah's boyfriend, John, in for questioning. But he had a solid alibi. He was out to dinner with his boss and his wife, and they both confirmed that he was with them. But when the police start to reach out to Werner's friends and colleagues, asking them questions, they end up talking to Werner's lawyer, Richard Mm Columbic, and he tells them that just days before the murder, Werner had called him and was in a panic. He told them that he was at his home, when Deborah and John were there, but they didn't know that he was home, and he overheard them talking about having him killed. Okay. Yeah. So his lawyer told him to hang, you know hang up the phone right now and call the police right now. But according to the police, he never did. But he was really scared. But he but apparently he like never followed through and called the police. So it's pretty obvious who killed him. Um, yeah. But now they have to prove it though. Right. So, if they have both have
1: alibis. Right. Okay. So, how, how did they find out, Jen? Well, <laughs> so when they
0: look into the life insurance policies, there were about a million dollars worth of policies. And then there was also something on the policy called a double indemnity clause, which is to where if you are killed not from natural causes, you'll get double the amount.
1: Uh-huh. So don't ever
0: get one of those guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't. It's not a good idea. And so um and one of the policies was taken out just days before the murder because Deborah knew that Vernor was getting ready to divorce her. And so they needed that money to keep living the life that they were living, you know, because once they had no money in the business and once he divorced her, she wouldn't have anything. So at this point, Deborah knows that she's being looked at. So she lawyers up and just refuses to say another word about anything at all, ever. And so after a while, the case just went cold. Deborah and John split up, and she was able to collect $589,000 in a settlement with the insurance companies in November of 1984. So she got wow. a pretty hefty settlement, and she she stayed in the house, the Northbrook home, but after a while, she couldn't afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. So she um, moved into something smaller. But so everyone knew that Deborah and John did this, but no arrests were made. And it was starting to look like they were gonna get away with it until, until two years later, 58-year-old Ken Cannell was arrested for trying to sell illegal guns to an undercover police officer. So it was in one of these undercover recordings where he was selling the guns that he talked about having a MAC-10, which was the same kind of gun that was used to kill Werner. And this was a very unique automatic weapon, a MAC-10. So- Now the police are trying to find a way to connect this guy, Ken Kanal, who has a MAC-10 with the murder of Werner Hartman. And it turns out that Ken was John's former roommate. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So when the police (laughs) bring this up, this murder up to Ken they're like well what do you know about the murder of Werner Hartman his face drops like what like how did you know anything (laughs) about that so Ken knew that if he because he was a seasoned criminal he knew that if he was gonna say anything about knowing John like he's gonna have to work this to where he gets some kind of a deal so they struck a deal with him that if he were to wear a wire and go talk to Deborah and John about the murder and get them to talk about it, then they would lessen his sentence for the gun charges. Yeah. Um, So he tells them that he, um, That Deborah and John had tried to hire him to kill Werner for them, but that once they gave him the gun and he fired like a practice round in his basement and saw how powerful this gun was, it freaked him out. And he just handed it back to them and was like, I'm not doing this. And then like John ended up being the person that Mm -hmm. killed them. So- In May of 1986, when Ken wears the wire and goes to Deborah's house, police are, you know, waiting outside in a van and he walks into Deborah's house and he's supposed to be holding his end of the bargain up and getting her to talk about it. But instead, he mouths to her, don't say anything, and then pulled his shirt up and showed her the wire. Uh So Deborah didn't say a peep, they didn't get anything, and then Ken didn't get his deal. So now they're at like another stall in the case because they couldn't get any information out of Deborah. So in 1988, though, they decide to take another look at the case with fresh eyes, but this time they have an expert look at the insurance papers, which they probably should have done in the first place. But they had an expert look at the life insurance papers, and they were able to prove that Werner's signature had been forged.
1: Oh, he oh! Did not oh, okay.
0: Yeah, so he never signed that those life insurance policies, leaving all the money to
1: to Deborah. Yeah.
0: So when the that police, seems like a
1: thing you would catch the first time around, you'd think so. But again, the eighties, the eighties, <laughs> they were too busy <sighs> wearing big shoulder pads; they couldn't see over them. Big giant glasses. Too busy with their acid wash
0: jeans to even <laughs> think straight. So so when they look at the phone records, they also looked back at all of Deborah's phone records. Again, should have done that in the first place. But <laughs> they saw that Deborah had called the insurance agent who drew up these papers, Harvey Lupton called him many times right before the murder. So Uh when the police go and contact uh, Harvey Lupton, they went into his office and he just, just tells them everything. He told them that in 1982, Werner had called him and told him that he wanted to change his life insurance policy to take Deborah off and leave Mm -hmm. everything to his daughters instead. So they changed the life insurance, but then just a few days later, Deborah came into his office, and this is another like, and she was being very fl- flirtatious, right? And wearing a <laughs> sexy dress and uh, used her feminine wiles. And she also gave him a three thousand dollar tip
1: to right. change
0: it back to leaving it all to her. And even though this is wildly illegal, and career ruining if you get you'll go to fucking he did it so he changed it back to deborah's name so then in early june right before Werner's murder Werner looked at the policies again and was like what the heck these hadn't been changed so he called harvey and looked in and said i told you to change it just make sure it all goes back to my daughter's like what the hell so then harvey gets off the phone with him and then he calls deborah and told dog. her. I know. He told her that, look, Werner's catching on and he wants me to change it back. And that phone call is probably what sealed his fate. I mean, obviously, and he also did and John it. did it.
1: Yeah. But he also did – like, this guy, Harvey, he didn't think – you know, life insurance is one of those things that, like, we all have just in case. But if someone's so dead set on, no, it has to go to me, no, it has to be changed, like, yeah – They're planning something. Totally.
0: So what's crazy is that they have all this information about the life insurance policies, their friend saying that he had tried to hire them to murder him, Mm -hmm. like all this information, but it's still actually not enough to try them for murder because they don't have the smoking gun, if you will. Right? Because they both have alibis. Yeah. And so- even though that they can't try them for murder, now they can charge them with mail and insurance fraud, which is a mm. federal crime. Yeah. So in January of 1989, seven years after the murder of Werner Hartman, Deborah, John, and Harvey lukden were all arrested and charged with wire mail fraud. And that November, John and Deborah were tried together. Uh-huh. And on December 15th, 1989, they were both found guilty. So John was sentenced to 16 years in prison. Deborah was sentenced to 22 years in prison. And then Harvey Luke Den, uh was sentenced to two years in prison for the role that he played in switching. I right. feel like he deserved more.
1: I kind of do too. I mean, I guess because he didn't, uh, I don't know. Like, this but- is, just, it sounds like he did something he knew was wrong, and then he couldn't get out of it because he knew it yeah. was going to end his career right like so he couldn't he couldn't reverse what he'd done because any you know he was just too, too much of a coward but my guess is that he made a deal since he was the one giving the information yeah that's why he only got 2 years
0: on the stand he was very tearful and apologetic and he just like talks about how much he wishes he could take it back yeah. but still it's like ugh. again $3000 was that enough money <laughs>
1: And don't do anything unless you get a million dollars. That's a million. What this whole show is about no kidding.
0: So, <laughs> what's crazy is that in 2002, after serving just 12 years in prison, Deborah was released, and no one knows where she is today. And the murder wow. of Werner Hartman is still an open case.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: It's just. They know that they did it. It's so obvious that they did it. There's so many, I don't think there's a question in anyone's minds, but they just need to be able to make that link. I feel like it was all really blown when Ken Kanal went in there and showed her the wire. I feel like that was the moment that she would have, probably would have said something. He blew the whole thing. Yeah.
1: (sighs) I don't Man, so that's nuts. That story, yeah, it is nuts. Yeah, it's not it's a, a happy it's story. A good one. <laughs> they yeah. never are. They, they never, never are. <laughs> hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? I am. Okay, I have to tell you that this this is a little bit different love story. It is. It's sweet. Okay, but it's also a little sad. Mm -hmm. And it also involves a car. So there's that. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So I got my information from an article in the Toronto Sun by Rita DeMontis, two articles in the Global News by Catherine Ward, and then the Instagram account Anthony's CRX. Okay. Okay. So Marissa and Anthony Petitella – Met as teens working at a local supermarket on the outskirts of Toronto, and they fell in love immediately. And they were that rare couple that actually dated all through college. They stayed together. Anthony studied computer science, but he was a car Lover, and so not in the sense of that story that we talked about before, but A he loved lover, lover right? <laughs> uh, I think that was like one of your first quickies that you did, and it yeah. was great. A guy who loved <coughs> baby's first love quickie. Cards. Yeah. So when Anthony graduated from college, he decided he would become an auto mechanic, and he actually started a business called Beeline Mechanics with his friend Bruno Lopez. And Anthony's his prized car was this 1990 Honda CRX, and and actually, Ben, my husband, had one growing up. And he like he loved that car. He maintains it was his best car ever. But they're these little have, do you remember CRXs like yeah. them anymore? But they're like these little mm. two-seater cars. They were totally. very cool. This guy I had a crush on in high school had one. So Anthony and his friend Bruno had bought the the CRX in 1996, and he and together they upgraded it. They painted it this unique color called saffron orange. They added two different spoilers. They upgraded the wheels. They installed a sweet stereo system. And when they were dating, Marissa loved it too. She said that they would like drive around. They would blast Anthony's favorite band, which was The Counting Crows. Um, <laughs> I feel like they are living my life, <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Me. The Mount's again. <laughs> that guy, what's
0: the Counting Crows guy's name again? Um, Adam
1: Durst.
0: with the T Z. That guy, he was the um Pete Davidson of the 90s. Every every starlet yes! was in love with him. Like he had to have like major swag.
1: Yeah, like and everyone was like, really? Like something.
0: Huh. Yeah. Um, but there's something about that guy that, like,
1: ladies love. Ladies love him. Um, and but so, that's did not Anthony. just that one song. <laughs> I also loved Counting Crows very much. <laughs> I saw them in college. Oh, it's great. Okay. So, Marissa told the Global News, she said, I remember the leather. I remember the shift knob. I remember all the things he tweaked about the car and the name of the stereo system and obviously the sound of the car. But as much as Anthony loved his CRX, he loved Marissa and their future more. So when the two of them got married right after college, they decided to start a family. And so Anthony sold his CRX for something that was more sensible. And Marissa said, We were thinking of of starting a family, and it's a two-seater, so it wasn't really something you could have with a family. And at the time, they weren't really in the position to own multiple cars. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing they decided to get a minivan because together they had three daughters pretty close together. So Anthony had the mechanic shop, and Marissa had a career at Hasbro Toys. And together, you know, they started this beautiful, hectic life as a family of five. And then 10 years ago... It all came crashing down because at only 36 years old, Anthony died of liver cancer.
0: Oh, no. I know.
1: I'm sorry. Just that it's, there's a sad – that's the that's sad part. It's very sad. Um, it's de- I mean, it was devastating, as you can imagine. His mother, Mary, said he was everything to us, and when we lost him, we obviously lost a part of ourselves. So in the years since, Marissa has learned to cope as the widow with three small children and as a woman with a busy career – But obviously, Anthony was always in her mind. And then recently, Anthony's cousin, Julia Raviglia, was out driving and she saw something that reminded her of Anthony. She saw a saffron orange car (gasps) driving past her. And she had this idea. She was like, what if we could find the same car that Anthony had loved and sold all those years ago? She said, I thought that if the thing is still, if this thing is still on the road in the condition that it's in, maybe his car is too. So Julia floated this idea to Marissa and she loved it. And together they posted on social media asking for help locating Anthony's car. They had the slogan was bring Anthony's car home. And they knew it was a long shot, but like, It just – it was something to, like, keep his memory close. But then people really just latched on to this idea. They had all of these car nuts and total strangers. And detectives. Yeah. (laughs) Making, like, inquiries for them. So – their story appeared on the news and it gained even more attention in Toronto and so after just a week, they managed to track down the car <gasps> and they traced it through the various owners. So they asked one to find the old VIN number and then they looked for records to, for who they sold it to. They found out that one of the owners had painted it an electric blue, another had put lots of money into the engine, and then another one had basically bought it and then sold it off for parts. And that was kind of where their search ended until out of nowhere they got this other message from a stranger on facebook he said that the updated color description actually made it it struck something for him because it sounded like a car his brother had and his brother had sold it to a garage in the town of woodbridge so they actually went and did like a google earth search and they could see this blue car in the back of like where they had where the guy had thought he sold it And so in the end, the car was finally found in the back of a Mobile One Lube Express, and it was covered in snow, missing most of its parts, and Uh it had sat there for two years. (gasps) Oh my God. Yeah. So Marissa, they went to go look at it. They they found the car. So she and her three girls went to go look at it, and she said – It was like the car was waiting for us. And so they get there. It's like the snowy day. She wipes the snow off the back of the car's window. And she saw the same decals that Anthony had put on the car almost 20 years earlier. Oh, my God. I know. And she said, as soon as I saw those stickers, I thought Anthony is talking to us. He's saying, look, this is me. I'm here. This is our last little sign to show you I'm still here. And so I know the owner, a guy named Nathan Siva – He had bought the car, hoping to work on it someday, but he just hadn't found the time. And see, he said he had actually had multiple offers from people who wanted to buy the car over the last two years. But for some reason, he had always said no. But when he met the family, he also got caught up in the emotions of their search. And so right there in front of her three girls, he hands the keys to Marissa and said, this should be yours now. That is so sweet.
0: i am like crying over a car? (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) So Marissa said, of course, this gift Mm -hmm. was priceless. She had the car towed to Beeline Mechanics, which was Anthony's business with his friend Bruno. And together with friends, they are going to restore the car to its former glory. And they've started and they'll continue to... To document this transformation, um, you can follow it on Instagram. The Instagram is AnthonyCRX. It's called Project AnthonyCRXSi. So if you want to follow along, you can see lots of pictures of all of it. Oh my and god, I do. Yeah, and Marissa said I do believe Anthony had a hand in this. There were so many circumstances and so many signs, and the end. I think he wanted his daughters to enjoy the same happiness he had enjoyed when he was alive. Aww. And so, like when this, st- since this story kind of came out, there's been one last big development. So, kind of the car car mechanics told Marissa that the best hope for restoring Anthony's car would be to find another CRX like around the same year, so that they could use for parts, basically like a donor car. So, like one uh-huh. door is missing. There's some like other parts of it that were missing, and so just a few weeks ago a guy named Dylan reached out to Marissa with photos of a 1991 Honda CRX SE. And he said, I believe this car has everything you need. So they quickly went to go see the car and with help from friends, brought the, bought the car from Dylan. And then Dylan in turn is donating all the proceeds he made from the sale of the car to uh, this organization called hope for a day, which is a mental health education nonprofit and oh, so, my God. I love people again. I know. And when they towed the the donor car back to Beeline Mechanics, an old friend, Kevin Medeiros, blared Mr. Jones by the Counting Crows in Aww. honor of Anthony. Oh, my God. Sally,
0: this is such a good one. I
1: know. That's my, that's my love story.
0: I love it. And it's just, oh, people are so good. And we forget how
1: good people are. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know man. people just need the chance. They want they, everybody wants to be a helper. Most people yeah. want to be a helper. Most people yeah. want to do something good. And they just some people are just not sure how. And so um this is I, I just love it. And it makes me, you know, my this is something my dad would totally do. He's he's a loves car. He's on all these like old man car forums, you know. And I feel like this is like hunting something down like this would be totally up his his alley. And yeah. I just love that all these people came to their aid and that I mean there's pictures of her as like a teenager in front of the car you know I mean they were like together for a long time even though he died young they were together for like 20 years so yeah um it held a lot of memories for her too and just to have this piece of him back is so special and and yeah definitely follow their Instagram oh I'm going um it's it's like it it just chills the whole time (laughs) I was like looking through it so I can't wait till they restore it and um, so it, the Instagram account is at Anthony's CRX. Awesome. I'm actually, I know we usually do this after the
0: show, but I can't wait. <laughs> Anthony's CRX. I already see
1: it. Oh my God. Wow. How amazing. And there's a really cute, I don't, cute one of her. There's like a picture of her as like a 16 year old in front of it. And then a, a picture of her now, um, in front of like the the old the car that they found, you know, in front of it. And it's it's so cute. Mm, I love it. That, this is a great one, Sally. Good job. Thanks. I start it was gonna be my quickie, and then I was like, this is a love story. It is a love story. <laughs> um, All right. So awesome. should we get into something dumb, something we love? I think we've this yeah. episode. Let's do it
0: something dumb something new. love okay I'll just be quick um so something dumb for me this week is just I've I have really bad TMJ it's something mm-hmm. I've dealt with for like more than 20 years and it's just like it's been real bad this week but then what's dumb is that it sucks and mm-hmm. then it's what's even worse is that when I went to the dentist yesterday they were like you probably need to go to an orthodontist Mm. and so that sucks because the main thing that sucks about getting adult braces if I do have to get them is like I should have done this at the beginning of the quarantine (laughs) dude
1: I've been sitting at home and wearing
0: a mask this whole fucking time that would have been a whole year of not caring about having braces So that's oh, dumb. Man. Um, but the something that I love is I have been getting back into um just a show that I forgot that I love so much, which is RuPaul's Drag Race.
1: I need and, to get into that because oh, I man, feel like it would just, really bring
0: me so much joy. It is just pure joy. I mean, yeah. it's beautiful to look at, fun, funny. They're so talented. I mean, it's just it's just. Pure happiness, and I love it so much, and I root for all of them. Um, But I thought – because I thought I remembered the VH1 ones being kind of family-friendly, but I've been watching it on Amazon, and I learned quickly that it's not – it's (laughs) family-friendly on – Logo, the logo uh, unedited version because wow. uh, I was like because Louise is actually very interested in drag because, I, because I, I totally understand why it would be appealing to to kids it's like colorful and beautiful and funny yeah. you know like co- the costume and so Louise has been um was like what like wanting to watch it with me, and I thought I could let her watch a little bit, and then she was like, and then all of a sudden, this green name Alaska Thunderfuck came on the screen. <laughs> and I was like, close <laughs> your eyes, but she's my favorite. <laughs>
1: but um, so she's like, what's a what's a thunderfuck? <laughs>
0: what's a thunderfuck? Um, so um. Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, I can't watch those with her, but I'll look into the VH1 VH1 ones again and see if if they're censored enough for her. But um, but yeah, I highly recommend
1: it. Super fun and just just
0: happiness. We just all need a little lighthearted happiness these yeah, days. Yeah,
1: I need. Yeah. You know what? I think I may have like reached my end of. Cooking competitions. I think I may have watched them all. There's no more. <laughs> I think there's no more. I think I'm done. So I need something else that's like light and fun and and uh and that sounds right up my alley. So yeah I'm give it a shot. Do it. Okay. My Something Dumb is just there in my in our pod there was a COVID scare, but then it turned out to be not a COVID scare. So that Yay! I mean it's just yeah, it was like, uh, you know, somebody thought we thought we may have been potentially exposed, but then turns out no and uh, and everything's great in the world. So, but it just is. You know, it's it's a reminder that it's still just all around us. <laughs> we just have to keep being careful. Yeah. Till, these, till the vaccines come and rescue us. And this thing that I love is well, one, Jen, I love you. I love um, you. <laughs> thanks. And because I I've been working on this like book proposal and a letter, and because I'm. Really, just trying to like finish it, and I hate it so much. But I got, I sent it to you, and you read it really quick, and you gave me some really good suggestions. And and so, thank you for doing that. Of course, good friend. And I'm great job,
0: brilliant. Can't wait for this book to come out. You'd be a fool if you didn't publish it. Publishers out there,
1: a fool, a, a fool. fool. Um. So, if you guys know of any um, book agents, just you know, hit me up. Yeah, um, let's
0: all work together. As a
1: team, as a community, to find
0: <laughs> Sally a publisher.
1: Yeah. Let's work together, you guys. I need your help. Yes. Um, And that brings me to the second thing I love because this, I'm just realizing, is our big Valentine's Day episode. So oh, this will be wow. – Valentine's Day will be Sunday of this week. How did I let this slip? I don't know. You used to be so good at holiday-themed uh, quickies. Because I had to- – like – I guess because
0: every day seemed like a different day back then. Right. And the holidays (laughs) seemed special. And now it's just like, what is time? I've let all of the holidays go. I think I did a couple of Halloweens, and then I let all the holidays go this entire um, COVID year. Yeah. I mean, you did try to do, like,
1: pandemic-themed quickies for a while, and then it just kept happening. (laughs) (laughs) They just just never never stopped
0: yeah
1: um so i just want to say that i love our listeners and uh, and happy happy valentine's day if it's something that makes you feel happy if not then you know just pretend it's not happening and uh and i just want you guys all to know how much we appreciate you and how much we love you we're sending our love to you guys you guys are our valentines this year yes
0: and always and forever we love you we love you so much for listening and hit us up on all the socials, rate your review if you feel like it. And also, get out there this Valentine's and do something dumb for love. <laughs>